0: And so a lot of the space that I try to create is one of safety and security so artists can get back to taking creative risks and not being penalized for it. Once I started employing those philosophies of a coach into my work as a producer, oh my gosh, it's like my batting average skyrocketed.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka, the show where I shine a light on incredible producers from all corners of our industry and dig into the messy parts of their journey. They're Kaka. However you found the show, I am so glad you were here. Y'all keep tuning in week after week, and I don't take it for granted. Thanks for doing this life thing with me. And hey, if you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and give it five stars. Your support helps grow the show and reach even more peeps. I don't say this lightly when I say that Laverne McKinnon helped me transform this year. She is a film and television producer with more than 20 years of experience. She was the executive producer of the Netflix series Girl Boss, starring Britt Robertson, who was also on the pod. She has spent a significant part of her career as senior VP of drama development at CBS. She was head of television at Charlize Theron's production company, Denver & Delilah, and now she runs k and Productions, the film and TV company she co-founded with Kay Cannon, writer of the Pitch Perfect franchise, which has a first-look production deal at Sony Television. Aside from wearing the producer hat, Laverne is also an entrepreneur, a leadership and personal coach, a wife, a mother of two daughters, an adjunct professor at Northwestern University, and a passionate advocate for foster care and adoption. A self-described lifelong learner, recovering perfectionist, and overachiever, Laverne does and has accomplished a lot. But what is most striking, and in my humble opinion, exceptional about Laverne, is her devotion to helping others across their finish lines. A certified grief specialist, she also helps those dealing with non-death-related grief, whether it's the loss of a relationship, a job, a business, trust, your home, the list goes on. Applying concepts of grief to the entertainment business, which is riddled with it, blew my mind. It shifted my perspective on what healing looks like. I am just so grateful she came into my life when she did. I just simply adore her. She helped me listen deeply to myself. And I hope this nugget of a conversation sparks something similar for you. So without further ado, here's Laverne. I've realized that I have like a bit of like a crush on all of the people that come on my show. I'm just such a fan of them as as people, as professionals, and you are obviously no exception. I think what makes this particularly interesting and exciting for me selfishly is the coaching that we have done together and how you have changed my life. You've changed my career. You've changed so much for me this year and... Serendipitous timing with COVID, (laughs) I don't don't know what I would have done without your guidance, and so it's really important and special for me to have you on, uh, just because of my own personal journey and the pivots I've been making this year. And so I'm so grateful to be here talking with you and sharing it with the listeners.
0: Oh, I so appreciate that. I really, um, I I loved our coaching relationship and felt like we had just amazing chemistry and really good teamwork. Yeah. I was like,
1: can dating be this easy? Can can like just <laughs> dating be like this? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but so I'd love for you to just take us to the beginning of your journey. How did you get to this business and discover that producing was a, a
0: viable thing? Like so many other people, just like so many fits and starts because I grew up consuming a massive amount of television and so I was like, oh, maybe I'll be an actor and I studied at Goodman Theater when I was in high school and then I went to college and I was like, oh, there are these other things like writers and directors. <laughs> and so it was literally like those types of missteps. And, um, but I really came to producing from a place of, in a weird way of loss, because I was fired from uh, a job that I held for a long time. And then um, the next job that I was able to get was working for Mike Newell and his producing partner, Cam Jones, mm. and running their television division, and then also you know, producing the stuff that we were developing. And then I found out, wow, I really love this. I love being so close to the material. Yeah.
1: When you had access to to the business from an acting more creative perspective, and then you saw there were these other potential paths, did you have a sense of clarity of how you get on that path? Like, how did you make that, transition? Because
0: were you born in LA or? I was born in um, in Illinois and I, I come from very humble background. Um, my parents never graduated from high school. My mom never even made it through elementary school. Wow. My dad was a construction worker. I, you know, I grew up in a lower income family. And so the mm-hmm. idea of entertainment or Hollywood was so foreign. There was nobody in my community who had ever done anything like this. And this is where I love naivete because I just like, I didn't know any better. And, um, and I was able to go to college and I studied radio, TV, film, and I feel like I sucked the marrow out of that bone because any informational interview, like any time someone like from the industry would come to campus, I was right there asking questions. And, What I felt like I learned was it's either New York or L.A. And because I'm incredibly sophisticated, I was like, oh, I'll go to L.A. because it's warmer than New York. I don't like the cold.
1: Hey, the weather has brought many people out here. Yeah, and how old were you at this point?
0: Uh, I was, I was like, quote unquote, old. I was twenty six, and oh my god, basically like retirement age. Completely, yeah. (laughs) Like all of my other like friends, everyone else had moved out right after graduation, and I just wasn't really ready to make the leap for a whole variety of reasons. Mm. But I do appreciate because I my first job was as an assistant at an agency. But because I'd had, like, four years of writing and producing educational films in Chicago, I actually felt like I was able to hit the ground running in a way. Like, I had developed a level of professionalism. I knew how to problem solve. And what I discovered when I was an assistant is that there's this job called development where you get to read material and give people thoughts. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like someone will actually pay you for your opinion? And then I was like on this path of I want a development job. And uh, and then I wound up working with Klasky Chupo, the animation company that did Rugrats. And I started up a development department for them. And as much as I love animation, it wasn't like my like my real passion. And that's when I went to CBS. Yeah.
1: I was going to ask you where the special thanks on the Rugrats movie came from. Oh, you so saw I guess that. I just answered it. <laughs> yeah. um, but okay. So then you you got you were in the animation world for a bit, and you were like, mm, no, I want to I want to go over here. How did you make that transition, and what was the next step?
0: Yeah, I um, I developed relationships with people at CBS and their children's department, and then they had had like a big um, upheaval. A bunch of executives um, were let go, and so that created an opportunity. And so I started working in their children's department. And then I had I had an incredible run at CBS for about 10 years. I was promoted roughly every 18 to 24 months. I moved into primetime and then I moved into primetime development. And then after 10 years, I was fired. Uh, And that was a big uh, rug that was pulled out from underneath me because I did not see that coming.
1: Talk about that for a minute. I mean, what was that time like?
0: How did you navigate it? Um, Well, to give a little bit of context. I, I had just been promoted to uh, running drama development and I was also having a lot of difficulties in my marriage. My husband and I had separated mm-hmm. and then we reconciled uh, and then adopted uh, our, a daughter from China. And so I'm newly head of this very important department. I'm still struggling in my marriage, despite the fact that we had reconciled I was a new mom and I was floundering. I was really, really struggling. And I don't think that I, I I wasn't showing up as the best version of myself. You know, I I really, I really wish that someone that I was working with would have just had the compassion, quite honestly, to pull me aside and say, Hey, what's happening here? It's like, you're not showing up in the way that we know you, but no one did that. No one had the compassion. And, uh, And so, yeah, I feel like could I have been a better executive? Yes. Was I going through an incredibly difficult time in my life? Absolutely. And then my dad was dying at the same time. I was like, that was the other big Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just like,
1: (laughs) I mean, that's a lot. And so how long were you once you were fired? Like, How long did you take for yourself to realign? And then Mm. how did you decide what the next step would be then? Yeah.
0: I, um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to move out of LA. I wanted to just abandon uh ship as quickly as possible. My husband and all of his grace and wisdom said, it's absolutely okay. If you want to leave and if you want to pivot, but I'm not going to let you run away because mm. that's what you're doing. And so you need to go like, Process all of this, and then at the end of it, if you want to make a choice and respond to the situation. But right now, you are full of fear. You're upset. Yeah. Honestly, it took me years. It took me years. I can still remember this clearly because my dad died in October, and then I think it was like after, right after the funeral. So it was like a week later. Then I got the call of, and and they had told me in the spring that um, I was uh, that they didn't want me doing my job anymore. And that's when my dad got sick. And so my perce- they didn't want to fire me while, you know, I'm with my dying dad. And so they waited until he was actually dead, which I really struggle with because I just wish that they would have just let me go. Cause it was pain on top of pain on top of pain. It was, yeah. it was incredible. And then I started working with Cam and Mike, uh, in the spring and and I love Cam and Mike, but to be completely transparent, I took the first job that was offered to me mm-hmm. because I was so, um, I had no self-esteem. I was really decimated. Yeah.
1: So then it took you obviously some years to heal from that trauma, compounded yes. just all of those things happening at once. That's a lot. You know, I guess at what point did you finally feel like? you could you could dust it all off and like sort of a phoenix rise from the ashes to enter (laughs) what feels like yeah has become this like next chapter of your life that i i would assume is like what you're in now you know
0: yeah i um i give cam and mike a lot of credit because I was so determined to prove that I was somebody and something. And so I just like wanted to hit the ground running and sell a bunch of shows and just prove everybody wrong. And uh, I had 24 pitch meetings and I got 24 no's and that was devastating as well. So I was like, clearly I'm not cut out to be a producer at all. And Cam and Mike, and I asked them to release me from my contract and Cam and Mike said, no. And it was the greatest gift. And essentially what they said is, listen, you know, just stop trying to anticipate the marketplace and follow your heart, trust your instincts. And then it became sort of a Hallmark movie. (laughs) And I wound up selling like, I think it was like six, seven, eight shows in a row. It was like, bam, 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 bam. And then this was in 2008 with the financial crisis and we lost our funding so the the unfortunately the the company went under but it gave me this new sense of confidence of okay if i do listen to cam and mike and trust my instincts i can i can actually find traction uh but the real healing quite quite honestly uh i mean it, it i i want to say a good 6 years maybe i mean it took me a long time because i didn't have any skill i didn't have any tools i did not know how to recover from this. And and I don't mean, I I, I wanna be very respectful of people who have experienced trauma, but my firing, my marriage, the death of my father, becoming a new mother, it was traumatic. Yeah. And when I started to learn about trauma, I realized it's like I had all of the symptoms of trauma.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can quantify trauma. And I don't think you can equate, well, your trauma is worse than my trauma. It's like, it's not a competition, you know, like, I think it's important to honor that, especially in our business. And this is brilliantly taught to me by you and how much grief and loss there is that we never really process. And I think it's so vulnerable of you and and empowering to to talk about it so openly and candidly because I would venture to guess almost everybody listening and everybody who's been in this town long enough has a version of that story for them that they're still like trying to get over this this hump in their in their journey because it is as you know so all-consuming that it's kind of impossible to separate, you know, and you have to find these healthy ways to cope with all of that so that you can build the stamina and the longevity for what is required to sustain the ups and downs of, of the lifestyle of this business, of the
0: producing hustles particularly, you know? Yeah, you're you're so right, because it's just like the nature of the business, as we know, is like we're constantly hearing no and no and no. For me, I... I thought that there was something wrong with me. I actually thought there was some, I was broken mm. because I couldn't, I wasn't rebounding from being fired. I wasn't rebounding from hearing all of these no's it. And so it's was like, everyone else is doing fine. Right. Which is the perception completely yeah. <laughs> not yes. true. Yes, exactly, yeah.
1: But so how did you rewrite that narrative in your head then for yourself that you weren't broken?
0: It wasn't you. Uh, well, I started working with a coach. Um, I went to a friend of mine because I was literally like at the end of my rope and I've had i been in and out of therapy my entire adult life and I just, therapy wasn't helping me and I didn't know what to do. And uh, my friend Scott said, you know, talk to my coach, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. It's like I don't play sports. <laughs> I was <laughs> wildly confused. Yeah. And then I went and met with this lady, um, Mona Miller, who who really changed my life. And uh, tragically, she she died. Um, we were working together for about eight months, and then she died in a car accident. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And but this was so incredible because the last voicemail that she left me was, "You know more than you think you do. We'll talk on Tuesday." and I like and I held that as a lifeline and then that's when I started to look into training as a coach because I wanted yeah. to know more about what she did.
1: That's that's incredible. I didn't know that that was the impetus for you to like start coaching and passing on that that knowledge, I'm sure she would be so proud of you with what you've done and how you've been able to help so many like myself, you know, I speak for myself, <laughs> but I'm sure everyone else that's been been uh, had the privilege to be in in this in that
0: space with you
1: would, yeah. would say the same.
0: Um, I know that I felt like I. I didn't know if I was ready, but I certainly was willing and able. And I feel like my experience of working with you is that you, you like, you're just like, you're always like so ready, willing, and able. And the, I think like one of your greatest tools in your tool belt is that you're so willing to look under the hood mm. and say, okay, let me, you know, let me check this, you know, let me tighten this, let me replace this valve, and. Uh, and it's just like minor adjustments in a way. Yeah. So that, you know, it's like thinking about um, like the wheels on a car of just like if they're deflated slightly, then they wear quicker. Mm. But if they're, they're properly filled up, then it just like everything runs smoother. And uh, and I feel like coaching does that.
1: But I think it's important to note that just because you make the minor tweaks under the hood and you have the right tires, like what I've learned is it doesn't mean you're going to go any faster, right? Then like right. the journey wants you to go, like you're still going to go the speed limit,
0: <laughs> no matter yes. how
1: fast you think you can push things forward. And it's been such a lesson and a reminder in, in patience because it's like that very thing that makes most producers incredible that lack of patience, that sense of urgency for everything is also the kryptonite that kills them, you know, in other areas of their lives. And I speak for myself where the struggle of these ups and downs that I feel daily, basically, as you know, like, yeah. is is because it, you can be doing all the things that feel and are perceived to be correct, and still not getting any traction for what feels like weeks or months. And you just go, am I crazy? Like, is this Am I insane for investing all of this time up front on the trust and faith, the blind faith that this is all going to pay off at some point down the line financially, energetically, all of these things, you know, and independent producing is so hard, but it's so rewarding. That's the little f- fuel in the in the engine that keeps you going through through the times where it just you're like, wow, like, how do I create this life for myself as a human, and be a person who can be a storyteller, but still have a life and and be able to like, have a savings account and retire one day, like all of these things. It's just, it's really interesting. And I sort of digressed altogether. But um If I had had a little more insight into this in my early days when I thought the impossible was possible left and right, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if I would have chosen something differently.
0: Yeah. I feel like you're touching and circling on something that uh, is what like really was a transformational moment for me, which is knowing why, Mm. why am I doing this? What's my life purpose? Because it's so so difficult it's so challenging and if i'm chasing after validation or if i'm chasing after a paycheck which is important um if i'm chasing after awards if i'm chasing you know after commercial success it's it's empty it's not enough fuel in the fuel tank for me to be able to go the distance and when i was able to finally discover that like my life purpose is so much about helping people across their finish lines yes which i love that that line of yours oh, by thanks. the way yeah. And so I'm able to do that as a producer, as a coach, uh, as a professor. And and so that has shifted everything. So now like the backpack doesn't feel as heavy. Mm. Like, I have like this new source of, of fuel and energy to draw upon.
1: Yeah. And it's like you have only the precious stones in your backpack that you need. You don't have additional rocks weighing you down, you know?
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, it's like every once in a while I have to put the backpack down and like look through it and go, oh, my God, where did the hell oh, wow. this this, how long has this been? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like a dry, just, yeah, uh, um, you know, rotting apple or something. It's like, whoops, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's like it's the same metaphor, right? Of looking under the hood, looking in the backpack. You got to take inventory of like the stuff, the baggage that you're bringing on with you, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that stuff, because it it is required to find that endurance for it. Just the continuous forward momentum otherwise i think it can be easy to to get stuck in all all of the ways that it is uh all of the ways that it can and does go wrong and doesn't propel you forward you know yeah it's okay so i want to back up just for a minute so then 2008 all of this stuff you have this awakening and like so catch us up to where you are today with knl productions meeting k and all all of that stuff
0: yeah i um so between then and now, um, I had my own production company. I wound up going to Epics to be head of programming there, which was really informative. And then I wound up um, getting, having my own production company again with a deal at Warner Horizon. And then I got a call about meeting with Denver and Delilah, which is Charlize Theron's company. Yeah. So I wound up going there for a couple of years. And that's how I met Kay because we did um, the Netflix series *Girl Boss* together.
1: Yes, and it was yes,
0: yes, during yes. that process that Kay and I just so fell in love and like have shared values, a shared work mm-hmm. ethic, and and I love working with writers and directors, and had been longing to have that type of partnership and that kind of intimacy. Because um, I'm not a screenwriter; it's like I write a blog, but it's not. Uh, like I don't have a calling to write for the screen, but I have such a deep appreciation for it. Yeah. So Kay and I started our company a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, knock on knock on wood, it's uh, it's it's only it's been going well. Yeah. I mean, you guys have a first
1: look deal with Sony, right? Yes. It's like impressive. Yeah. It's like all the things that mid level producers like me like aspire to, and so. I'm curious to where you are now and, you know, having these production companies, did you stop and start them because maybe they just weren't working out at the time and you just had to shift your focus? And then was it the same company you were coming back
0: to? Or were you coming into each one with a different perspective and knowledge each time? Um, let see. Well, the first two companies that I did by myself... Uh, I just have to share with you the name of the company that I had when I was doing it solo was Shibui, <laughs> which is a Japanese word which means beauty in the imperfect. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's like life with Kaka, sort of. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shibui. Totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I dig. I dig. Um, but each time the um, I left the company was uh, to go like one time was to go to Epics and then the other time was to go to Denver and Delilah and now I feel like my big realization is I don't want to do it alone. It's just, uh, I love collaboration. And I love the partnership. And, you know, as you've been saying, it's like, it it is challenging. And so, you know, to surround oneself with, you know, the people who believe in you so, you know, we can bolster each other. Oh, gosh, it's just so, at least for me, it's just like really, really important because it's just too isolating and too lonely. I,
1: I agree. It's like the it, the sense of community or the lack of community, I think, that exists with, the independent producer hustle is something that I think is quite unfortunate because we all feel this way and the producing journey is very isolating and it is a quite lonely one. And, To to, even to share the successes, like, yeah, all your friends will want to go celebrate with you over drinks when you close a big deal or whatever. But no one's there when like, you get the 24 consecutive no's, you know what I mean? And so (laughs) it's like, no one wants to meet up with you that well, some people may, but then you're like drinking too much and for the wrong reasons, and it's (laughs) not healthy. But I talk about this a lot. And it's because I've learned that this is really ultimately all we have. And it's the journey, right of like, who we're going to go on that journey with and I think similarly to you, I'm at a point in my career where in my pivot, you know, that you've helped me sort of identify and start to to create. I I want to have that partnership as well. I have wonderful people in my life, but if you don't understand the producing sort of madness, it's kind of hard to to speak to that. I think to your point, I've also been in and out of therapy, but it wasn't until our coaching session that I was like, oh, like, this is a person who really understands from a deeper place when I'm talking about feeling, you know, um, rejected by something, they understand the depths of that rejection in a completely different way than a traditional therapist. It's like we're speaking the same love language about the pain, (laughs) you know? Yes, yes. And it was like, oh, this is the first time I actually walk away from that exchange feeling like I have better tools to navigate this and understanding it because so much of my adult identity is tied up in this because it's all I've been doing for over a decade. Mm -hmm. I think only the people that kind of understand have you know are cut from that same cloth and it's like we're branded you know what i mean like they they, <laughs> yes. they
0: get it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i just it, it's uh, as you were talking i was just flashing on how um i had a, a strategy call yesterday with our team at wme because it's such a tough marketplace right now and i just they're like okay what do you need and i said i need perspective it's like i just need to know like what am i doing wrong or is everybody experiencing this? How do I need to course correct? Like, what's happening? And and it's like the value of um, you know of our WME team is because they are working with so many different producers and artists that I could get that snapshot perspective of. Um, no, you're, you're not crazy. It's challenging. Yeah. Okay. That's it's good to hear.
1: Yeah. It's, and sometimes yeah. you're right. Sometimes it is like an industry wide phenomenon versus like just a one person thing. And then here you are internalizing it, taking it so personally, when we happen to be in a pandemic.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's an incredible, um, just like really powerful analogy that came out of our conversation um, that I'd love to share with you.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's this idea that um, playing on a runway and then fog is rolling in. And the fog is the pandemic and the airplane is production. And it's like, okay, the plane can't take off, it's not safe. And then other planes are lining up behind that plane. And so the runway is jam-packed with planes ready to take off, but nobody knows when they can take off. So in terms of new development, it's like eh, I don't want to I can't clutter the runway. And so it's like, oh, okay, got it, got it.
1: Well, and then the bottleneck of like, when it does clear up, who gets to take off first? <laughs> That's what I wonder. Mm-hmm. Like, it's scary yes. now, but I think even, even a year, whenever it all kind of can resume a little bit more closer to what normal felt like, that is the concern. Like who gets to have, first dibs at flying out you know is it the people that have been on the runway the longest or is it the 747 that's coming in and towering over all your tiny little independent planes you know yes yeah. no, nobody has the answer it's a rhetorical question but yeah I'm glad you got that perspective
0: it uh yeah I mean it was like it's a band-aid you know yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay but it's better than nothing you yeah know? yeah
1: so then how has this time been for you being an independent producer in, in COVID times how has that brought new light into priorities and values and just altered things for you?
0: Yeah, what a great, um, question. Uh, it, um, well, I'm I'm a, I'm an overachiever, uh, recovering perfectionist, and recovering people pleaser, and so <laughs> it's something that I really struggle with because so much of my self worth comes from achievement and from doing. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've kept us incredibly busy during the pandemic, and we have not let up at all. So we have a lot of projects in development. We've been really fortunate to work with a handful of writers who have um, are willing to roll the dice with us and have been specking material. Um, And so a lot of that has been coming in and now I'm just in the process of packaging. So like one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that people are reading, you know, so we're getting reads on our material um, and we've been successful in some instances in being able to, you know, put stuff together. And then, I mean, the other thing that I've personally been able to get into, which has been really helpful for me too, is just like writing my blog again. Yeah, And that's been helping me process all of my feelings of guilt, shame, embarrassment, you know, all of that. (laughs) All the
1: fun stuff, all the fun party stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and how have you been processing it? Do you have any uh, tips and uh, tricks for
0: listeners, AKA myself? You know, I have to tell you that I feel like it's risky because there's so much um, emphasis on perception, you know, like we touched on that earlier in our conversation and so what I've been practicing and doing is just saying, um, fuck it and being completely vulnerable and naked and, you know, posting these you know stories about myself and yeah. what's been so amazing is the response back. It basically um, it dissolves the shame that I feel because I'm not alone. Interesting. But I had to be the person to say, this is what I'm feeling for other people to say, Oh yeah, me too, me too, me too. And, it's it's been really wonderful to be so vulnerable and then be validated in that vulnerability
1: i mean why do you think that is why do you think this industry is built so much on perception and having to project a sense of confidence and assurance over things that are inherently like impossible to feel that confident about. Yeah. People try to create these formulas for what success may be, but we all know internally that there is no such thing as that formula, yet there is that expectation that you gotta walk into a pitch, you gotta walk into a room, like you've got it all figured out. Like It's like we're constantly selling a false sense of confidence to everybody, and we all know it. It's like we've all drank the Kool-Aid, then we keep playing the game. It's like, where does that come from, and wh- why does it have to be that way?
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a great answer for you, and I don't. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um you and I've talked about this as well. Of Just like the best creative comes from going out on that limb, trying something, having a discovery process. The limb breaks. It's like free fall. Ah, And then, you know, it's like face plant. And then you learn something from that and you get back up and you climb the tree again. And it's like it's richer, it's fuller. And it's like risk taking equals incredible creative and part of that risk taking is being vulnerable. And so pretending that everything is wonderful, or it's, you know, it's all glossy and shiny, it just, it completely negates the truth and the reality of life. And isn't storytelling supposed to be a reflection of life? Uh, so yeah, I find it absolutely baffling. And I, I wish there was a good answer.
1: Yeah. There is no good answer. And if anybody listening has the answer, please let us know. Yes, I'd
0: like to know. Please let us
1: know. (laughs) Because we don't claim to have the answers. I certainly don't. Yeah, I I think to your point, like, the more I've been able to be vulnerable, and what you taught me and speak my truth and just say, here's all the things I know. And here's what I don't know. And here's what I actually need. The more the response has been positive to that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to note that it takes tact and it takes being very specific with that. I don't mean you should just go around to everybody being like a, Ugh, like this person because nobody wants that. I think it's you know the way your life is shouldn't be no different than how you you treat your business relationships in this business where it is inherently an emotional business. But right, exactly. Nobody wants to deal with with that drama friend, right? Who's always got everything as a crisis, like everything is a big deal. Nobody, nobody wants to be at the mercy of that. Yeah. Learning the the differences between that, I think, just sometimes takes time and patience. Ugh, that word.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and practice. You're so. Yeah. Right it's not okay in any situation, personal or professional, to vomit one's feelings onto another human being. That's just, yes. yeah.
1: It's, <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned the hard way.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh,
1: God. I mean, okay, yeah. so this is one thing I was going to say. Now I remember that, you know, I, because of what you're saying, I'm so obsessed with, like, shining a light on these, these realities and these conversations that it's like, you know, you go – be a guest at a panel and there's an audience who wants to hear from you as a producer but you have to have a certain project a certain type of whatever because you're talking to fellow writers or directors or artists and we rarely get to actually talk about these realities of what it actually takes and the challenges and the messy parts of the journey well because it's all messy really yeah and so i hope that through these conversations it helps Anybody listening who's on their path feel a little less alone in that, like, no one has the answer. We're all trying to figure it out and trying to be good people in the process, hopefully, you know? Yeah, Um, I think it's it's
0: important to note that. Yeah, absolutely. As you were talking, I was just thinking about Glennon Doyle's Untamed. (sighs) Yes. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. To me, she just like walks that walk of complete vulnerability the difficulties the challenges but then she's also such a role model because she's so yeah authentic about it but she's got these skills and tools and she knows her purpose and she knows her values yeah
1: what's great about her is that even though she has all of that and one can say wow she's got it all figured out she's very transparent about the messy parts and the fact that she doesn't have it figured out and she's still stumbling through so much of what she's trying to do and think the more people can have a, a better understanding of the full breadth of it especially when it comes to yeah. this elusive term of producing and what do producers do and what does that mean like the better and more compassionate of an industry I think will create yeah I think there's a gap of, of these conversations not being had nearly enough in this intimate way and I'm, I hope I can be a tiny part of like helping close that gap and helping create this new wave of like understanding and a new way of approaching the work.
0: Yeah. That's what I love so much about your podcast and being so honored Mm -hmm. to be a part of it because I do, I feel like you, you you really make a stand for that truth and honesty and straightforwardness. And then what comes right on the heels of it is just empowerment and strength. I mean, I believe
1: it. And I think it's because I... I live it it's not just like a theory you know it's like this is who I am yes. and I have found success being this way like everything you can see in Google of me and the things I've worked on has come through through being that way to an extent and the more I can redefine that for myself and make sure I stick to that and hopefully show others that it too is possible for them like I can hopefully lead the way for others to navigate this, this crazy business from that place of honesty and truth and integrity and that it is all possible Possible. yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's all its all you have. You have the, your one precious life and your non-renewable resource of your energy. And yeah. how do you want to spend that? And who do you want to be while you're spending that? I think sometimes there's that like desperation of like, I just need a producer. I just got to get my thing made. And it's like, is it the right person, though, to be on that journey with? Yeah. I think people are really starting to realize that now more than ever with COVID and like how, how precious it is and how nothing is guaranteed. We all know this, but now it's like proven. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do want to ask, you know, since the show is about navigating these messy parts of our journeys and our lives, um, I think you've touched on it a bit, but I'd be curious if you could dive a little deeper into, you know, when you've gone through these lulls in your career, the big ones, and maybe the smaller sort of ones that happen, maybe on a daily level, like for me, (laughs) how do you navigate that? And how do you get through to the other side? Because clearly, here you are 20 plus years of a career, still pushing forward, still positive, what does that look like for you?
0: Yeah, it's um, uh, Seth Godin. He's a marketing guru. He has a book called, um, I think I'm going to butcher the title, but basically it's the idea of, is it the dip or quit? Mm. And I feel like I am constantly confronted by that of like, is this just a lull? Is this just an ebb moment or is it actually time to quit? and i feel like i keep going back to that idea for me of just am i living my purpose am i honoring my values and and when i and sometimes i'm not and it's like, I'm chasing after like my, my Achilles heel is this X ex- need for external validation. Mm. I just like, I want someone to be like, Oh, you're doing such a good job. Attaboy. I can see how hard you're working. It's like, I need to be like the good student. And then that just really screws me up. And, uh, and then I lose sight of like, why am I really doing this? Um, and so it was, it's like being fired from CBS and then having, um, Mike Newell's company lose its funding. And then um, at Epics, I was a premature hire. Um, They weren't really ready to move into scripted programming. So I was there for a little over two years. And then we parted ways amicably. And there was a big chunk of time left on my contract. So I actually got to just sort of figure out how I wanted to, like what I wanted to do next. But I also felt like a failure too. It's like that I couldn't make things happen, even though I know that it was so out of my control. Um, I didn't, you know, have control over the purse strings, but um, how I get through it is just really, um, it's checking under the hood. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it's like, what's important to me? Mm. And also I think making an important distinction about, sometimes I make very grandiose statements of like, I need this. Like I need people to respect me. I need people to respond to me. Do I really? No. Mm. Like, what I do? I want that, yes, Yes. but I don't really need that. And so I some I conflate that. And so if I can slow things down enough to unpack that and go, okay, what do I really need? Then, and that's and the truth is, I need very very little. I need oxygen. I need food. I need you know some shelter. And I need the love of my family and friends.
1: Yeah, I mean that's beautifully said. I think you're right. Like we can confuse the want and the need very easily. And maybe that is the point of life is like you, you crack the level when you can actually know for real the distinction between the two. Yes. And you're not confusing them. And I think our society likes to try to confuse you as much as possible. Yes. <laughs> yes. To sell you stuff, yeah. uh, you know, that you don't need that you want, but you don't need yeah. it's like the, the opposite. So yeah. from when you started coaching, how, how long has it been that since you've been coaching and talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, I think it's been about like six or seven years, uh, so a chunk of time. And uh, and uh, I got to tell you, it has transformed who I am as a producer because my training as an executive was that um, in order to justify my job, I'd have to identify a problem and then this is how you're going to fix the problem. And it's like, woo, I'm a hero. And the, you know, the primarily the CBS culture that I had worked in, it was a culture of fear. So it was always like, oh my God, I have to justify myself. I have to rationalize myself. All of that as my training as a coach is that people are creative, resourceful and whole. Nothing is broken. Nothing needs to be fixed. And so I apply that to my work as a producer so that when I'm developing with writers, creative resourceful and whole nothing is broken nothing needs to be fixed my job as a coach is to help my clients access their own inner wisdom my job as a producer is to help the writers and directors that i work with access their vision Mm. And so sometimes like we have to work through like a little bit of PTSD or some trauma cuz you know we've all had situations where things have gone south and then it's like oh I don't want to take that creative risk because I'm afraid that I'm going to get fired I'm afraid that you're going to judge me negatively mm-hmm. and so a lot of the space that I try to create is one of safety and security so people can get back to artists can get back to taking creative risks and not being penalized for it. Yeah. And once I started employing those philosophies of a coach into my work as a producer, oh my gosh, it's like my batting average skyrocketed. Amazing. I started setting stuff up all over the place. Yeah, I wasn't anticipating the marketplace. I was trusting my instincts, not so much in terms of, oh, I think that this writer is like just so extraordinary that they're going to be wildly successful. It's like, oh, I'm trusting my instincts that that writer and I like that we can like we can work together that there's like magic in terms of that chemistry and that synergy like we that we're each other's people and we can have each other's back and at what point did you
1: identify and then have been so wonderful at highlighting this idea of grief and loss in the business and helping others navigate that because I know when when you coached me and we talked about that it was like you know, like someone kicked a door into a place I'd never like knew was possible. And it made so much sense. Yeah.
0: um, Thank you for that question. I, uh, it was through being coached and learning that loss is loss. And, you know, and as you, you know, said earlier, it's like in terms of trauma, it's, it's not really fair to compare like, oh, I feel sadder than you do. You know, uh, like I have, I have a younger, I have a 10 uh, a year old daughter when she's like, no, I'm hungrier than you. Oh, no, I'm more afraid than you. I was like, you can't compare. <laughs> and so um, and so when I was in my recovery process from being fired from CBS and I started to understand that, oh, no, this actually is loss. This is real trauma that uh, that that was incredibly healing. And then through the process of training as a coach, I realized that I could actually share the story with other people people. And it's, again, like posting my blog and just being vulnerable of like, yeah. And um, when I start a new relationship, we do this thing called like designing an alliance where I just ask people like, you know, what sets you up for success? What makes you grumpy? What's important to you? And I do the same. And oftentimes what comes out of those conversations are stories of of loss of like my last project, I got canceled or I you know worked my ass off on the spec and then the producer never even took it out. You know, it's like those types of stories are being, are being shared and told.
1: And I think the healing from that is what can help someone avoid becoming a cynical, bitter person who then I can very easily become an asshole, you know, like from that place of pain and loss and grief that hasn't really been identified. I do think a lot of the people that, Bring fear yeah. to their workplace. They're coming from that, from a, a, something along those lines. And if you were to ask them and have an honest response, I think you would find similar stories for all of them. Somebody screwed them over, someone they trusted, someone yeah. that they went all out for and worked for no money for, you know, all of that stuff. Um, it's such a re- business of relationships. And so, I think it's like we have these tiny marriages or affairs to however you want to define it, you know? Like if you're on doing a short little sprint, you're just having like a one-night stand. But it's all these these relationships that do, I think, define us and how we navigate through them. And there's not enough emphasis put on that. I think people think of relationships like the surface level. Well, I got to get drinks with every agent in town and I got to have everybody know my name. And that's one part of it. But like better to have like... Five incredible deep relationships with people who are all going to be gateways to other people than think you're going to have deep relationships with a hundred people. Like we all know that's not possible or sustainable. Yeah. I remember being like, all right, I got to have every night this week. And I was my, early 20s I got to have drinks with someone new I got to be meeting people I got to be talking shop and this and that and it's like yeah but at what expense like you're not developing anything maybe one or two of those become something substantial but but mostly not you know and it's it it was a very interesting way that I had of thinking this is how I build relationships and time proved to me like no you're going about it the wrong way it's not going to be as effective as you think it is you know yeah yeah the people that are your peers now, the people that are sort of like, on that same journey with you that are going to grow. Yeah, that's where you should put your primary focus as opposed to the people that you think are over there. And
0: I and I would add to that of just developing relationship skill, that it's not something that we're taught in school. And you know, it's why the divorce rate is so high. It's why Oh my god, I do think that there you know, are so many relationships in the entertainment industry. Well, also, you know, probably in all industries, but that, that have fallen apart is, is not because necessarily it was a bad relationship, but it's because both people lacked skill in how to be in relationship. Yes. And it's absolutely normal that there will be conflict. There's going to be miscommunication. There's going to be misunderstanding. Memory is imperfect. And so it's like, oh, wait, I thought you and I talked about this. And it's like, and then I get mad at you. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe I'm just remembering it incorrectly. Yeah. And so, yeah. which was like one of the biggest things that I had to deal with is that, wow, my memory is flawed. And so like, I would get so mad at people because I'm, I'm sort of OCD. And and, uh, and so as I started to develop real relationship skill, is like I learned how to be able to communicate my upset with someone. Without canceling them, mm, that is
1: beautiful. If there, if there's one one skill set that I think is worthwhile of an investment, it's that. And I don't know, aside from like your coaching, how you get that, like how you train people to build and sustain real relationships in the business because it is so different than personal relationships and friendships, but it isn't in many ways. It's like some people you're friendly with, but you're not friends with. Like there's all of these differentiating levels of what the relationship means. And it's only so good if both people have the same understanding of what that relationship is, right? Because if I think we're friends and you're like, oh no, she's just like a person who worked for me Mm -hmm. once, I'm going to have a very different perception of how i'm going to interact with you and get potentially very frustrated if i don't get that same thing back because i perceive mm-hmm. you in a certain way i perceive our friendship in a certain way oh yeah it's that that disconnect and i yeah. i don't know i don't know if you've cracked the code in that and how you can teach that on a yeah. bigger scale yeah. than like a one on one consulting or if it takes enough heartbreak to finally be like all right i'm ready to learn yeah. the skills and look under my own hood and see how i can show up and be better To, to my
0: fellow collaborators, you know. Yeah. I want to recommend two books. One is um, Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication. <gasps> that just came up yesterday for
1: me. So amazing. Ah, yeah, serendipitous. Great.
0: It's it's an incredible book. Um, it's sort of an unfortunate title because when you hear nonviolent communication, it's like the image is like, oh my God, people, you know, fisticuffs. That's not it at all. Uh, it's a powerful book. Highly recommend. Um, and then, uh, oh my gosh, I just blanked on the second book I wanted to share, which is... Ugh, I just lost it, uh, but highly recommend the nonviolent communication book. For yeah, sure. it'll it'll
1: come to you. Uh, yesterday, I was listening to uh, Tim Ferris interview Sia, and all she said so many things that are are sort of like sort of eerie, mirroring our conversation. Where she talked about, you know, even with someone of her stature, like when she stepped into wanting to direct, she had a lot of trepidation because she didn't want to be judged by the industry, by the film industry, and be like, oh, here's another like music person thinking they can come in and direct a movie. And- And she was the one who talked about nonviolent communication and how that transformed her life. And Sia has been very vocal about suffering from depression and suicidal thoughts. And she talked about this idea that it's, not the death of the body that a person in pain seeks. It's the death of the, the ego.
0: Yeah, They yeah. can only
1: heal the ego. They'll realize like you don't have to like kill your physical body to get rid of the pain. And I just was like blown away by, by that. But yeah, she brought up that book. Yes. I don't know if me, my tangent helped you remember the title. but I do.
0: <laughs> did you remember it? <laughs> okay. it's, um, it's a way of communication. That's really powerful. Powerful. It's called Imago Dialogue. It's I am A-G-O. And, uh, and people can just Google it and, uh, and there are workshops and, but you can learn about it online as well. And it's a, it's a way of, uh, yeah, communicating that's whew, just trans transformative. Incredible.
1: Yeah. I can't believe it's almost, an, we're almost at an hour. I think you shared so much.
0: I. I'd I'd love to end with asking you a question. Oh, this <laughs> <Yeah>. is different. <laughs> good times, good times. Um, okay, all right. yeah. I just um, you know just in that spirit of vulnerability, what um, what is your greatest challenge today? Like today specifically in this moment, or today is in like
1: the season of my life? Yeah, I'm going to say. Uh, well, Let's go with both. My greatest challenge today, uh, I'd say, is. It's a daily challenge, so it just feels like par for the course, which is like, Navigating my own expectations of how quickly I'd like things to move and not always knowing how much to push. So, for example, a thought that comes to mind is, you know, we're out to an actor to attach on one of my scripts. And as you're talking about your experience with WME, I start getting a lot of anxiety. And I'm like, oh, my God, as soon as I get off the call with Laverne, I got to I got to talk to them and be like, hey, guys, it's been two weeks. We've been waiting for like like I start kind of spiraling a little bit. And, and these are like the next things I need to do to keep to keep things moving forward always. And so that is a challenge to be like, is this actually real momentum I need to put behind it? Or is this like, what is the why? Or is this coming just from a place of like uh, anxiety because the uh, things are happening without me, that FOMO I need to, I need to like also be a part of making sure, you know, I'm like, what if, what if the agency start going out of business and no one wants to finance it? Like, I need to, uh, I start going to all of that place. So that would, I would say, is a daily challenge. And it, it's like, it's almost like <laughs> levels. It's like it's always there. Sometimes yeah. it's like imperceptible and sometimes it's so high that I just can't even think of anything else. So there's undulations to that. But yeah, I would say that I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I think through the the work that we've done, you know, I've gotten a lot better in really defining the, the saboteurs in my brain and, and in all areas of my life, you know, and really trusting like you've taught me that I am enough and that I am doing enough yeah. and it's all going to happen in the way it's supposed to like so much is not in my control. So then all I have is how I'm going to show up to to the challenges and give myself permission for the days where I just want to be a whiny little bitch about it all and that it's okay, you know, have a little pity party, like like the time we connected on the phone, (laughs) and just be like, woe is me and life sucks and then move on. But the truth is, it's like you said, you know, you have to come back to your why. And 14 years into this business, I'm still here, I still feel passionate about it, I still love it most days, and I still feel inspired. And I think the podcast honestly has been like therapy for me, it reminds me in hearing other people's journeys, like I'm not alone, you know, others have gone through similar or worse or better, it doesn't matter. It's not about equating, but they're still here, they're still showing up, they're still coming at me with a smile on their face and guiding me and mentoring me and like, gosh, what a privilege that I get to, to have these conversations and hopefully give a little bit of that to the people that are listening. So
0: yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And I love the flag that you're planting and how you just you show up so consistently. And, uh, And in the best possible way, just like being absolutely relentless.
1: I focus on the gratitude as much as I can, because I also recognize that we're living through a very challenging time. And the kinds of champagne problems I have are the good kinds of problems to have. You know, I'm struggling over like trying to get stories made, not some other bigger things that other people are having to deal with in this moment. So putting them in perspective, I think is important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I do, I do believe it's like, I may not be at my best. What I'm doing, the best that I can.
1: That's right, and that's all any of us can do. And I think that's important. I think, yeah, I, I I hope, I hope that everybody takes that away and like actually keeps that in their heart and remembers that. So, but I, I just adore you. I like, I'm obsessed with you. I think you're such a blessing, and I love how you came into my world in such a peculiar way. It's always fascinating Mm to me. to be like, wait, this person's been around for twenty years, and I'm just hearing of them. What do you mean? You know? Um, and so I, I'm grateful to you for for sharing your time and your story and your wisdom with me and the listeners. So,
0: oh, thank you so much. I adore you too, and this has been just yeah. such such a treat. And uh, and I've loved listening to your podcast. It it, uh, it helps me through my down days.
1: Good. Oh, that's that's what I want. If everybody can be helped through their down days through these conversations, then. <laughs> and I am hashtag winning for sure. So. <laughs> Yay! And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. And I'll see you next week. Beisiously.